0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Can we lift our hands as he comes and just invite, amen, the Spirit of the Lord to speak to us today. Come on, go ahead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, can we just lift up our hands real high? Can we worship the Lord? He's in this room. And I know that's, that's not a cliche statement that preachers just say. I legitimately feel him in this room. Let's give him all of our attention right now. Can we just worship him like he's standing right in front of you? Can you wrap your arms around him like you've been waiting to see him a long time? Lord, I love you. Jesus, I thank you for your sweet presence in this room. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'm definitely feeling the Lord in a certain area today. I can been feeling Him. Every song is in line with what the Lord has been ministering uh, to me. And I want to stay in that vein. I feel the Lord's going to do a lot today. And not because I'm preaching, but because the Lord is absolutely in love with you. He wants to move in this place. I believe he's going to take care of some things, some hidden things. It's all going to be taken care of today. I have confidence in that. Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you don't mind, just remain standing. I'm going to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Shortly after that, I'll go to Matthew 27. But if you can't flip through your Bible that fast, we have technology to help you out. And uh, while you're turning there, I just give honor to your pastor, Pastor Romine. Thank you so much for letting us be here. It's such a blessing. Evangelists are, uh, it's a fun life. I'm loving every single day of evangelizing, but it matters when someone trusts the ministry that God's uh, given to you. And I'm thankful that this church has trusted the ministry God's given to us. It's not my ministry. I can't do anything to earn it. I'm on loan from heaven and I'm thankful for that. I honor my wife. She's been taking care of kids and babies this week. It's a hard job. Her ministry is to take care of our three kids. I'm the pastor of our home, by the way. I'm an evangelist, but I pastor my house, and I have an assistant pastor. Amen. She teaches our kids scriptures every day. She's teaching them Bible stories through sticker books and things like that, and so if you don't see her in the altars praying with people, she's been ministering all week, and she's been ministering through this service, so withhold your judgment. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to fight tooth and toenail for my wife. (laughs) Amen. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 says, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. But look, we, we talk a lot about the negative that was in the midst of the garden, the tree that got him out, but we rarely talk about the fact that there was two trees in the midst of the garden. It says, And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I feel necessary to tell you that knowing good and evil is not a bad thing. It's not It's not wrong. It doesn't, knowing good and evil doesn't kick you out of a garden because that's exactly what Solomon asked for. I want the ability to discern between good and evil, he said. And God was like, okay, good. Somebody finally asked me for it instead of taking it though. So it's good to discern between good and evil. It's not listening to the voice of God is the problem. But I want to just show you that there's two trees in the midst of that garden. Now, really quickly, Matthew 27, 38, one verse. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. Jesus was right in the midst of those two trees. I want to minister today that there's a tree in the midst. It's here right now. I've been feeling it. There's no greater message on the planet, young ministers. There's no greater message that you'll ever preach than the message of the cross. You are me- preaching the passion of our Christ. Now, this is what I want you to do. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, I would that you would be complete in spirit, soul, and body. That word soul in the Greek is psyche. I want you to lift up your mind unto God. When you lift your hands, lift your mind. And the way we do that is I'm not thinking about lunch. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about phone calls. I'm not thinking about anything else. Lord, I'm going to set my affection on things above is what you're doing. That's how you worship him with your soul. So can you do that? And what's on your mind, let it come out of your mouth right now all the love that's on that mind right now, how much you want him, how desperately you want his presence, how desperate you are to leave something behind that's been plaguing you. I want you to open your mouth and declare that to heaven right now. Lord, I love you, Jesus. What I want from you, God, is I want to be used of you. Lord, however you choose to use this vessel, that's what I want. And Lord, I want desperately what your heart wants. I want your people to be restored. I want sins to be completely forgotten. Lord, I I want people to walk away from their past. I want them to cleave to that old rugged cross. I want them to get a revelation of how great your blood is according to your word. Your blood cries out greater words than the blood of Abel. Lord, I'm thankful that that word testifies on our behalf and your blood says that we are redeemed. Lord, I love you, Jesus. You do what only you can do in this place in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap today praise the lord thank you jesus you may be seated At the very beginning of the cosmos, there was a God who peered over his grand heavenly balcony, and he gazed into a landscape of darkness. In fact, Genesis 1 verse 2 says in Hebrew, it says, which is interpreted to, the earth was chaotic and it was empty. And notice that the thing that God would look from his grand balcony of heaven at would be an entire realm of chaos and emptiness, and it was chaos and emptiness that pulled him from his throne. Our God could have been just a posh, self-indulging God who looked at that and said, no, it's not worth my time. Yet, chaos and emptiness were the two elements that pulled him from his throne. And we also notice in the very beginning that God is not intimidated by chaos. He came and he hovered over it. He looked at it. And when his presence shows up in the midst of chaos, chaos has no other option but merely to submit. And we see that days one through three, God completely takes care of chaos and he structures, he forms, and he orders a world, a world that is in perfect harmony. Scientists are still trying to figure out how our world could be so perfect in the sense that we have four seasons. It's not too hot on contrary to popular belief in South Louisiana. It's not too cold contrary to popular belief on the North and South Poles, but it is perfectly set in order because God, when he hovers over chaos, his design, his passion, and what's on his mind is to turn chaos into something formed. And then for the next three days, God would focus days four through six. He said, this realm was chaotic. I've taken care of chaos. It's now a thing of the past. Now I'm going to fixate and focus my attention on emptiness. And so he looks at the sky that he formed. He said, let's fill it with birds. He looks at the sea that he formed. He said, let's fill it with fish. He looks at the land that used to be chaos And he says, let's fill it with animals. God only does this. This particular act of forming and filling a second time, when his spirit comes and hovers over dirt, the Bible says that he allows an ad, which in Hebrew means a water. It covers the aduma, which is ground, and he forms an adam. And it's this cool little poem in Hebrew. It's an ad, aduma, adam. And you can see the journey of nothing to something just in the Hebrew language. He covers it with water. He forms it, and he says, it's good. It's in my image, but it's not filled yet. And the Bible says he breathes into me man, his neshama, his spirits is the word in Hebrew. And he looks at it and he says, just like the world that I created that was chaos and empty, I ordered and filled it. So I will do with humanity. This is our great and high calling was to be formed, made in His image, filled with His Spirit, but that would continue on. It wasn't just a one and done. It was not just an Acts 2.38. It was not just a birth certificate. It was also the call to live in a garden with Him. It was to commune with Him. It was to walk with Him every single day. Our highest calling is to walk with God. Our highest calling, we were first created as spiritual beings that occasionally had carnal experiences through eating food. But we turned ourselves into carnal beings who come to church on Sunday to have an occasional spiritual occasion. What we're called to do is day after day, 24 hours, seven days a week, is to live in His presence. There should be something from the void of a human heart that says, I cannot survive without the presence of God. There has to be somebody that would humble themselves enough in this end time Hour who looks at everything going on around us and says, Washington's not enough. The news isn't enough. Social media is not enough. There has to be something. I'm formed, but am I filled? after this, God begins to walk with man. That was his high calling. Let's build a house. I want to dwell with them there. I want to be with humanity every single day. I want to talk to them. I want to hear their voice. I want to know their personality. I want to know their uniqueness. I want to know their fingerprint. I want to know the number of hairs on their head. I want to know everything about them. I just need them to let me know it. And just like all of that, God begins to form his man to live with him. He breathes into them. But God says, I'm going to give you sustenance in this place. I want you to live here. I want you to work and keep the garden. And according to Genesis 2, 9, it says, and out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. You're going to notice something interesting that days one through three, when God is taking care of chaos, the last thing he creates on day three is a tree. And he tells, he says, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. And then he gets over here and he's addressing emptiness and he gets to mankind at the end of day six. And he looks at man, he says, I'm going to form you and fill you. And I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. He's looking at us, and the Bible's trying to connect us to trees. And we are living today literally because of trees on our planet. Every breath you take, you have a tree to thank for it. There's something that connects us to nature because both of us were pulled from the ground according to the Bible. And the Lord says there's going to be something else that's going to sustain life in this garden that I created on day three. And I'm going to plant it in the middle of the garden. It's going to be in the midst of the garden and it's going to be a tree of life. And I'm going to put right next to it the tree of knowing good and evil. And I don't want you to have that one. My intention, my my mind, my goal, my passion is that every single day when you stand before these two trees, you have an option to choose death or you can choose life. And there's this little hidden message that's tucked in as an Easter egg inside Genesis. Eve, many people don't know this, but her name is Hava in Hebrew. It means life. And this is the cool thing because Adam's not a name. It's Adam. It just means human. And God has spoken to human to choose life. And for some reason, Adam listens to life instead of choosing God's life. God said, here, I'm going to have life here that's going to sustain you, and I'm going to have a pseudo-life over here. This is not some chauvinistic scripture that's preferring men over women. It's a narrative that's saying, are you going to listen to God, or are you going to listen to all the circumstances in life around you? And by listening to the circumstances of life... Adam, Eve, both get evicted from the garden. They had the option set before them. I can feast from this from all eternity, and I can be in his presence. For some reason, I don't understand it. I don't understand why God's presence isn't enough for some people. I'm going to be as blunt as I feel. I don't know why we come to church and we want better sermons. I don't know why we clap our hands and say, that was good. I've heard it before. I'm sick of the pressure because the cross should just be enough. His presence should just be more than enough. Him coming down into the room and somebody over here getting a blessing and I'm not should bother me. It should drive me into the altar and say, God, I want to feel your presence. I want to be with you. I want to feel it tangible. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I'm not satisfied with you just knowing the number of hairs on my head. I want to know about your head. I want to know about your voice. I want to know what you sound like. I want to know what it feels like when angels come into a room. We have to get back to fundamental doctrine of his presence presence. I just want to be in his presence. God told them this command, and that wasn't enough. Evidently, his presence became something normal, that they had to strive for something outside of his presence. I've been in your presence a long time. I've grown up in it, God. Can I just, I want to try something new. And so they venture outside of that, disobeying, all from the lie of a beast. This one rebellious act against God's word resulted in chaos. The Lord's word was true. God did not lie. He told them, you will surely die. Their physical body lived on, but the spirit lived left them, and they were no longer spiritual beings. You are comprised of spirituality as well as carnality. And you were born, according to the Bible, in sin, shapen in iniquity. All of us are born dead. There is only life in us. When we are filled with the Spirit, He breathed that into man. It came through a wind, and in that wind was His voice. But notice what happens after they fail. The Bible says His Spirit began to blow through the cool of the garden. In the Hebrew, it says His language came blowing in the wind, is what it says. His kolot came looking for them. Who has failed? I'm still not intimidated by chaos. I'm still not intimidated by emptiness. What you got away from, I can fix. I Look at the world around you. This This is a testimony that I can form and feel things. So if you've gotten away, I can get you back. I just need to hear you say one word, Adam, Eve, what have you done? They blame, they do their thing, but they ultimately confess, which I'm thankful for. And though death was not immediate, without the tree of life, eternity was lost. Three, Genesis three twenty four says, so he drove out the man and placed Keravim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I have talked to so many people who have problems with that passage of Scripture. Why would a God so loving, a God so kind, a God who wanted our presence, why would he cast us out and then guard the way to life? Let me help you with this. Let me just spit some apologetics at you. God looked at us and he says, you no longer have my spirit. You are empty. And if I keep you here and you eat from that tree, you'll live the rest of your life empty. And I never designed you to live empty for eternity. So I need to allow you to fulfill your course. And I'll make a way to get back to this garden. You can believe that. It's the tree that got you out, and it'll be a tree that'll get you back. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a way that gets you back into my presence so that you can live with me in eternity filled with me. But you're empty right now. I cannot let you live for the rest of your life broken. This is one of the, actually the one of the most gracious passages of Scripture you'll ever read because God looked at us and he said, I never want you to live the rest of your life completely obliterated, broken, because that void that you now have will be filled with spirits of this world. Depression, anxieties, fears are going to try to fill that void, and I don't want you to live forever that way. So what I'll do is I will give you glimpses of glory, and I'll give you peaks at my presence, and that'll pull you back into my presence. I'm calling for you, human, and from that vulnerable moment, God has worked tight. Tire- Tirelessly to present trees of life to mankind throughout the Bible. It was an ark, the Bible says, that was made out of trees of gopher. That he says, I'm going to make this thing. I want you, I'm giving you blueprints, and I want you to build this ark. There's gonna be an upper deck, a middle deck, and a lower deck, and there's gonna be one boat. There's gonna be three dimensions inside of a boat. One boat, no driver, no rudder. I'll steer this thing. I want you to get inside of it. I want you to have dominion over all the animals. Noah, this is going to be a little micro Eden for you made out of trees, and trees are going to be your salvation. Also, Noah, remember the chaos that covered the earth, that watery abyss? I'm sending it back, but because you're inside the ark, you're going to rise above the wrath. Oh, the Bible's beautiful. Yeah. And so he's riding on top of the waves. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the rain ceases. And the Lord tells him, he says, send out a dove. This dove's going to go and find a tree. And when that dove finds a tree, it's going to go and grab that tree. And when it finds a tree to rest its feet upon, you're going to know that wrath is gone. And you've entered into a new grace dispensation. When that dove returns, you'll know that wrath is still out there. Stay inside the tree. Stay inside of it. There's going to be one door in the side. Now, come on. You, there's a lot of New Testament." scripture that's testifying to this. Wait for the dove. When it finds a tree and it lands, then you're going to know all of this wrath is over. So he does. He listens. He obeys. He doesn't jump out of the boat. He doesn't go seeking his own thing. He doesn't feel like God's holding out on him. until he waits. Sure enough, the dove doesn't return. And the Bible says that that tree landed upon Mount Ararat. In Hebrew, Ararat means Mount Cursed. On top of a cursed mountain was a tree that landed. (laughs) And the Lord tells him, he says, just some Bible trivia, real quick, some Bible nerds in here. Why did God destroy the earth? Because the thoughts of mankind were evil continually. But well, watch this. Watch this. This is beautiful. Now there's a tree on a cursed mountain. And God says, build me an altar. So he builds this altar out of tree. And then the Lord comes down. And he smells the sweet-smelling savor of a sacrifice on a cursed hill, and he falls. And he says, "Oh, that smells amazing! There's a sacrifice on a cursed hill made from a tree. I will never again curse the earth, and I'll never again destroy mankind, even though their thoughts are evil continually." And you're sitting there scratching your head, and you're thinking, "God, that's why you destroyed the earth. Now you're saying you won't. Nothing's changed. Man, or, man is still evil. What changed?" A tree on a cursed hill. And he said, there's going to be a sign that I'm going to give to you that this promise is legit. Look up in the sky. There's going to be something physical you can look at because every covenant he ever gave, there was a tangible sign that followed it. He said, to prove to you that I'll never do it again, look at this rainbow in the sky. I'm giving you the sign of a covenant. Another moment was God met with Abraham on multiple occasions at trees. One of the most notable was when the Bible says he placed wood upon the back of Isaac. In Hebrew, they don't have the word wood. He placed a tree. It was high brother Romine, on the back of Isaac, and Isaac's walking up to another mountain. This mountain is called Bethel, house of God. And on his back is a tree. And he's getting ready to sacrifice a son on another tree. And he goes up there and he's like, God, you can't take my only son, not the one whom I love, because you named me Abraham and my name means father of a multitude. If I lose him, then you are a liar. So God, you can't lie. So I'll do what you ask. But I know you're going to make a way when I get to the top of this mountain. He goes up there and the Bible says he lays Isaac, which means laughter, upon the tree. And there is laughter hanging. You on a tree, and there's nothing funny in this instance. And there's a father looking at him. The father was willing to make a sacrifice, the son was willing to be a sacrifice. But watch this: the Lord looks at him and says, Father of a multitude, Father of multitude, don't take thy son, thy only son, for now I know. Look behind you, there's another tree. There's another tree in your midst. There's two trees on this mountain. There's the tree of the ark and the tree of the altar. And here's the tree of the sacrifice and the tree of the substitute. And he looks behind him and caught, and I know you read it in English, it says thicket, but in Hebrew it says tree. And he looks and he sees a substitute caught in the tree. And watch this. This is where we all need to get. Abraham is looking at two options and he says, it's a no-brainer. Of course, of course I would choose that. That option leads to life this is where we need to be in every church service. We need to have this ingrained in our hearts so much that when we come into service and His presence comes and we sit here and we compare our fallacies, we compare our sins, hidden and exploited, all of them, and we look at them and we weigh the two options and we say, God, really, I've considered my frame and I know that I'm but dust. I've considered my own sins. It's a no-brainer. Yes, Lord, and we should lift our hands and we should cry out unto a God that would be a substitute on behalf of our filthiness. It's should be a no-brainer in every service. It should be just like Abraham and say, of course, I'll choose that every single time. That leads to life. I will take the substitute. God meets with Moses, the Bible says, as a burning sinet tree. And God tells him, the place where you're standing is most holy. If you come to this tree, you can't wear the shoes from where you've been walking. You're going to have to take off where you've been to come to this holy sacred tree. And Moses is thinking to himself, that's a no brainer. Of course, I will let go of the walk I've had to get to a new walk. And he walks and he bows before a tree and the Lord begins to fulfill some things in his life. And the next thing we know outside of Exodus, we see Exodus 19. They've come through the Red Sea. It's the Passover. 50 days has transpired. And now he's standing and he's remembering in his mind a burning tree. And he's thinking, Himself, okay, God, that was pretty cool, That was awesome moment. What else can you do? And on this day, 50 days past Passover. It's the day of Pentecost before God even gave it. And he's standing there looking at a mountain, and that mountain is set ablaze. And the Bible says he looks up and he sees thunders and lightnings coming down. And that's actually languages and flashes of light. This Hebrew word Colcolode. He sees language coming in the fire. On the day of Pentecost, before it was a thing. And he looks up and the Lord says, Come on up here, Moses. And he looks at it and he's thinking to himself, In that ancient world, how can I walk through fire and live? The fire in the Old Testament meant God's holiness. How do I go and be with a holy God in this condition? Oh, follow this. It's beautiful. And the Bible says that Moses opened his mouth. And in Hebrew, it says that out came the evidence of a voice. And sure enough, he goes up to a mountain. What happened? He looked intimidated, humbled at something bigger than himself, more holy than him. And he says, how can I go and be with a holy God? Because if I don't follow peace and I'm not holy, I can't be with him. And the Lord says, you'll never attain holiness on your own virtue. So what I'll do is I'll reach my hand down. I'll touch your head and I'll make you holy. And what I put on you will be so holy that it'll make you eligible to come up here and be With me, he was filled with a spirit that made him eligible to go and stand before a spirit on the day of Pentecost. And Moses was eat up with this thing, he was completely enthralled with this thing. Moses would lead the people into a wilderness and they would come to bitter waters. And the Lord says, I can fix the bitterness, throw a tree in it. And the Bible says, when you throw a tree into these Mara waters, they will become sweet. And the Lord says, I can turn. Remember Isaac? Remember laughter laying on a tree? Just take the laughter tree, throw it into the bitterness, and it will fix everything. I will make this situation better. But Moses, I need you to go and fetch a tree for me and throw it into this sea. There are about 15 other stories of people and trees that I could tell you, but time doesn't allow. But the prophets talked about the most important tree of all, which God said would come from the seed of a woman. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, Isaiah says in Isaiah 11 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. He said, guys, There's a tree that's going to come. There's going to be one that's planted in our midst, this wretched world that you and I completely obliterated and destroyed. Stop praying this prayer. Lord, why do you let bad things happen to good people? This world and its problems is our fault. It's because we're sinful. It's because we do all this filthiness. Sin is the problem with this world, not God. God is waiting on a bride to come and get a revelation that she's His church made in His image, bringing the answers to this world. We're not waiting on Washington to fix things. We're not waiting on a new government decree to fix things. We're the government that sits on his shoulders. We're the ones who go and bring love into our worlds. We're the one who goes and serves the hungry. We're the ones who go out and sit with people when they're sick. We're the one who visits those who are in prison. That's our job. We need to pick ourselves up and say, God, there has been a tree planted here on this earth for the past 2,000 years, and what I need to do is I need to get it so planted inside my soul that when I go out into the world, people can pluck fruit from me. It's me who's the one who's supposed to bear fruit. I'm just the same as the tree that was planted on day three. I'm the one who needs to be fruitful and multiply. If there's problems in this world, maybe it's because we're not loving enough. All right. if there's no peace in this world. Maybe the church isn't pursuing enough peace. Is this all right? All right. The seed would grow inside the womb of a woman named Mary, like a little tree inside of a garden, it's And Mary would be the first house in a whole neighborhood of houses to be built. She would be the temple. She would be an Eden. She would be an ark. She would be that tabernacle. And inside of her would be that spirit. And look at what it says, the spirit overshadowed her. And what did he do? Over in Genesis, he hovered over chaos and emptiness, and then he formed and filled it. He hovered over man. He formed and fill it. Then he hovers over Mary and he says, I'm planting a tree inside of you, Mary. You're going to be the garden from now on. You're going to have an outer court. You're going to have an inner court and you're going to have a most holy place where I reside. Please have a mercy seat where I can sit there though, because that's where I long to sit. And she would be this floor model. We should look at her and say, okay, that's what, whatever you say, God, let it d- be unto me. It should be our prayer, just like Mary. And she was filled with that spirit. She would give birth to a tree. And just like the coal that reached out and touched the prophet's mouth and made him clean. Jesus would come out like that coal himself out of the most holy place and everything he touched would become clean. He would touch lepers, they would be clean. He would touch sinners and they would be forgiven. He would touch the blind, they would receive sight. He would touch the lame, they would walk. The dumb, they would talk. The demon possessed were set free. All of that because he was holiness incarnate. He said, you remember how I touched Moses and he was allowed to abide in my presence? Well, look who's amongst you. I am God in flesh. Everyone I touch, I'm going to have a little piece of my holiness with me, and my holiness, when it touches, it merges with my compassion. When I touch the hurting, they're going to be taken care of. I am here. There's a tree in your midst. Just like the God that hovered over the face of the deep, Jesus walks on water. He hovers above the chaos, just like the God that told Moses that his name was "I am." Jesus told the Pharisees before Abraham was "I am." He told his disciples in john fifteen five he says i 'm the vine." You're going to be the branches. He who abides in me. Remember Noah going into an ark? If you abide in me, inside of me is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's an upper deck, middle deck, lower deck. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the door. Come into me and you'll be with the Father. We're all in one. Come into me. If you abide in me and I in him, you'll bear much fruit without me you can do nothing we need to get that fundamental revelation today we've gotten too arrogant in north america we think that we can do this by programs we think we can do this by self-help and google we can't do a single thing without the spirit if we are trying to do this empty we're but chaos If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. He said, I'll chop this tree down. In fact, he looked at the Pharisees who refused to come into alignment because of their arrogance. And he says, guys, the ax is at the roots and I'm chopping that tree down. Why? Because there's another tree here. You've been trying to do this through religion alone without my spirit. I would like to have pure religion, according to James. And I would like you to do this with religion and my presence. But my presence needs to be your religion. What I came and did on this earth needs to be your religion. Watch what I do. He washes feet. Watch what I do. He forgives sinners. Watch what I do. He tells sinners to go and sin no more. Watch what I do. And he goes and touches those who nobody else wanted to touch. Watch what I do. He sits with Samaritans who the Jews hated. He said, follow me. I'll be your religion. If you'll accept the tree and you'll feast for me, which at this point you've been seeing you can't do it without me, I should be a no-brainer. Choose life. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. He told his disciples that unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it abide alone. He said, guys, I'm the seed. I'm going to have to be buried so that everybody can have life. (laughs) Jesus was about to be the wood of the ark, which would save the way, the way it saved Noah. He would be the second tree for Abraham, which would spare our lives. He was about to be the holy tree that was set before Moses. And he was about to show us a burning, fiery mountain on the day of Pentecost. The only thing he would not mimic was the mistake in the garden. This was the only thing that he says, no, no, the first Adam blew it at a tree. I won't. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to a garden, and I'm going to do what the first Adam failed at doing, and he wrestles with this inside of himself. But before going to the garden, watch what he does. So it's just some Bible trivia for you Bible nerds. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they clothe themselves with? Good job. And as Jesus is during his Passion Week, the week of Passover, brother O'Mind, he walks one day as God in flesh, who goes all the way back to Genesis, and he turns and he looks and he sees a fig tree out of the corner of his eye. And something inside of him got frustrated. Some passion, I imagine, welled up within him. And a flash of a memory at that moment of looking at Adam and Eve crossed his glorious divine God mind. And he looks at that fig tree and he says, Cursed are you, you will never bear fruit again. That tree that got my people away from me. will never do it again. At this, After this week, when I do what I'm about to do in another garden, I'm going to completely annihilate that tree. The next day, the disciples walked past a tree that is their forefathers and the ones to whom we all came from. They looked at it and they glorified and they looked at it and they were filled with wonder and they said, how is it that you have done this? And the Lord in his mind was saying, I've cursed sin for good. Sin will never bear fruit again so long as you choose This new tree that's being planted, I've cut down the old covenant. Don't you remember that when I came out of the Jordan, the dove found a tree? Don't you remember when John baptized me, the dove lighted upon me? That meant that wrath is over and we're in a new dispensation. I have grace walking amongst you. The dove has found a tree. The chaotic waters have abated. There's something new going on here. The tree that got you away from me in the garden, I'm cutting it down and I'm cursing it. Now let me go finish my passion this week. He goes into the garden, brother, and he goes to pray. And while on his knees, he says, this is going to be hard." They're the ones who deserve to drink from this bitter cup. They took the fruit and they squeezed it into an intoxicating wine that put them out of their own spiritual senses. They need to drink this drink. Is it possible? Can this pass from me? No, no, I'm going to stick to my Lord's prayer. I'm going to do what I said I would do. My, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going to drink from this bitter cup. And sure enough, he finishes it. The death was in the garden. We found his body on a tree because the greatest death any of us will ever die is the one to our will that says God I can't do this they deserve what they're getting. If you're going to start saying that, you need to start also putting it shoe on your foot. I deserve. I'm just asking. I'm pleading for a, just a scotch of humility in this end time hour. Lord, I am a wretch undone. The only thing good about me is the spirit inside of me that killed this mortal flesh. He curses that tree. And lo and behold, they would set him up in the midst of two trees on his right be a man that looked at him and says, why don't you rescue yourself if you're really God? That man would die in his sins. But there was another man who says, don't say that. You don't know who's in our midst. And the Lord looked at him and said, ah, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm going to another garden today. You will be with me. One died in his sins. One died to his sins, but the tree in the midst died for him. The one in the midst, the one in our presence died for sins. And what he's looking for is someone to die to their sins. It's entirely up to you. You can choose what you want. Setting before all of us today is life and death. You can die in your sins. That's your prerogative. God gave you a self will. You can do what you want to. But hear me. The place that you're choosing was never designed for you. That's why it enlarges itself daily. But where he's going, he says, you thought this earth was cool? This earth you don't want to leave? This place that you don't want to let go of? Because you haven't been to Fiji? You haven't been to Alaska? All these beautiful places? I did that in six days, folks. Right. Right. I'm going to prepare a place, and I'm going to work on it. And at this point, he's been working on it for a little over 2,000 years. Why would I choose anything else that should be a no-brainer? Yes, I will die to my sins because paradise is where my Savior and for me, my three-year-old son, my grandpa... My grandmother, my other grandpa, my grandmother, and saints before me, oh, I want to go to paradise. And if that means all I've got to do is humble myself, abase myself, hit my knees, and say, God, there's nothing good in this mortal body. There's nothing good about me. I have sinned. I even tried to hide it at times, but your spirit still illuminated it. God, you are perfect in all your ways. There's something better in our midst There is a tree that has been planted here today. He goes not just on Sundays. He's available every single day of the week. He abolished the Sabbath, and he says, I'll do works even on Sabbath days. There's no day that is off limits for me. I will work every single day for those people if they will but humble themselves. John is a particularly cool gospel because John shows us chronologically. And you got to understand, there's Jews and ancient Near they don't they don't really care about chronological order. That's why your gospels seem to be out of order and people think it's contradicting itself. Jews don't care about that. They give you the information needed to prove a point. And so John's trying to prove a very fundamental point. He says, guys, watch. There's going to be a wedding one day. And Jesus is going to show up. And the, the bride is going to be filled with shame. Unless there's enough wine, okay? And so his mother goes, this little floor model of a whole house that would come, and she comes to him and she says, do something today, Jesus. I know you can fix this. I know you can remove shame from a bride. I know you can do it. You did it for me. I know you have the power. You did it for me let me alone. It's not my time, but mercy would make time. And he says, ah, all right, bring me those water pitchers, that filthy water where you wash hands and feet, bring those to me. Yeah. He anoints them and he touches the thing from a walk of the past. And he turns water to wine and the turning of water to wine removes shame from a bride. And the governor stands up. He says, Ah, you saved the best for last. We're supposed to collect all these words, put them into our little Bible reading backpack, because that's going to come up again where Jesus is hanging from a cross as the second Adam. And the Eve that came out of the first Adam side, there's going to be another Eve called the church that comes out of the second Adam side. And hanging on a tree, there Jesus stands. And they took vinegar, which is what they served at the end of a wedding. Now watch, this is the first miracle he removed shame from a bride. And here's his last miracle. We're looking for the best last because we've collected that little word. And here he comes with a caraway and a man puts that bitter, cheap substitute knockoff into the wedding wine that you and I should be drinking because our sin squeezed the fruit into a cup. And Jesus said, the cup won't pass from me. I'll drink it. And he drinks the bitter wine. At the first miracle, he turned water to wine. The last miracle, he turns wine out of his rib, comes water. And the shame from you and me was removed. What he was doing is he says, I'll drink that bitter fruit that you plucked from a tree all those years ago. I'll drink it and I'll turn it into purity. Yes. And through water, you and I were sanctified. Notice the grand scheme of things going on here. We did nothing in this equation. But a Savior came. And this is all a cool story until you realize that there has been proven that there was actually a man named Jesus that came and walked this earth and he actually died. We have historical documents that prove that fact. So there was a man who was convinced he was God that said, I'm going to do what no one else will do on behalf of man. You and I are so indebted today and it's, it should not be in a reality of any church where we just come in here and we just wave our little hands and we just say, okay, what am I having for lunch? There, should be a gratitude that washes over us in every service. I don't care if you've been in church your entire life. There should still be passion that wells up inside of a saint that says, God, I remember the day such was I. Such were some of you, but I've been washed. I have been sanctified. Oh, Lord, your blood that dripped down on Calvary was more than enough for me. I'm so thankful. But notice this. Jesus was cursing the tree on a cursing tree on a cursed hill the tree of life was about to be planted they came and we should get the attitude brother caraway that nicodemus and joseph had the bible said they came and they craved the body of christ and they put a bloody body upon their back no miracles inside of him there was no affirmation inside of him there was no good words good job pat on the back good message none of that they just said i just want the body even if there's no benefits in it for me i'll take the body of christ even if he doesn't applaud me even if he doesn't use me i just want him and they carried him and they laid Into a tomb, and right there, that seed was planted. He said, "Except a seed die, it abide alone." A seed was buried, and that cursed tomb would absorb him, and the nutrients of death and the nutrients of his passion would fuel a seed to emerge. Three days later, a tree of life was planted, and it is strong. That tree has never been cut down. That tree still abides. Its branches are shooting out further and further. Every person that gets filled with the Holy Ghost is another branch that shoots off. Every single disciple that bears fruit, somebody else can come and pluck from it and say, Oh, God is good because you've been good to me. We are the tree. We're in him, and he's in us. When we shoot off from that good tree, we're good people. We won't be chopped down, cast into the fire. You can be sure of your redemption when you're in him. And the way you'll know is you'll be filled with his spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. But the way you continue in that and walk with him in the garden is when you're fruitful. See, a lot of us like our little golden ticket, Acts 238. I made it and it never bear any fruit. We have the initial sign, but we don't have the continuing sign because if we're really in him, by this they'll know that you're my disciples when you love one another. That means, if you're a Democrat, that's about the response I thought I'd get. (laughs) Love everybody. We'll talk about that more tonight. This tree of life provided air for you and I. One tree in the natural can provide enough oxygen for four humans in the natural. But this tree was much larger than a natural tree. Those trees were made in the image of a tree greater because in Acts 2, another Pentecost came and there was a tree of life. And just like in Exodus 19, how there was a wind that came with languages in it and that burning mountain, fire set upon each of them. A rushing mighty wind came through and out of their mouth came a language. They began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance and little branches were shooting off of the tree that was planted in their midst. And right there, what did they do? The wind came and they inhaled. And out of their mouth, they began to speak in tongues. They were physically alive and spiritually alive. I think it's interesting that God hovered over a human in Genesis, and he breathed into him his spirits. And it went in through his mouth, went into his lungs, and he began to inhale, exhale. Can you put that image up there for me? I think it's interesting that in the natural, if you take an x-ray of the human lungs right now, this is what you're going to find. And they call it the tree of life for humans. This is either just a really cool story that all happens to make sense and line up, or God actually did something in Genesis. And inside of your chest is a testimony of what you need in the spirit right now. This may be working physically, but how does your spiritual man breathing right now? Is he okay? I find it no coincidence that in the natural, I've noticed doing this long enough and trying to pray long enough and pay attention to what's going on in the spirit. Generally, what's going on in the natural realm is what's going on in the spirit realm. And what I've noticed is that there has been a disease that's been attacking the upper respiratory system in this, this current society. And what's going on in the natural, I feel like, is what's going on in the supernatural. People are getting their wind taken out of them right now. People are gasping for spiritual breath. God, why don't you fix this? What's going on, God? There's enough air in the atmosphere. You give no thought to your breath right now. You just inhale. All I'm asking you to do is spiritually do the same. Take a step back and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't have to. I don't have to know how a tree works and how my lungs work. All I have to do is breathe. I don't have to be a scientist. I don't have to be a doctor. I don't have to be a herbologist. All I need to know is it provides me oxygen and I breathe it in. And we go back and forth recycling it. If you can take that same faith that you put in the natural and apply it to the supernatural, I believe... That we'd have a lot more spirit filled, fruit filled people walking this earth. All I'm asking today is that the church today take a breath of the Spirit. Right now, if you raise your hands, musicians. In your midst right now is the presence of God. He's not a forceful God. He's not going to come and grab you by the collar and shake you and say, worship me, serve me. He loves it when a bride who gets a revelation that her shame was removed, raises hands and says, God, without you, I would be absolutely nothing. He moves on the humble. He moves upon the hungry. If you want to stand right now, raise your hands. If you want to run to an altar right now, That's your free will. You do what you want. All I can do is preach. Although I'm burdened that it seems to be that the cross isn't enough anymore. In Pentecost, we're just looking for the next best sermon. Give me another good sermon. Good revelation. Give me a new one. Okay, what what else is out there? I have patterned the ministry God's allowed me to have after this the past three years. I said, God, the cross saved me. A wretch undone. A man laying in the fetal position on the floor wanting to commit suicide. And yet a tree came into my office. And a tree saved my life. For me, it's a no-brainer. I'll choose it every single day. And so I'm just curious, who is self-aware enough of your own fallacy and sin? Who's willing to lift up holy hands? And cry out with a passionate hungry voice. God, I want to walk with you in that garden again. Bring me back to that place from which I have left. Bring me back into your presence. Cry out with your voice right now. Lift him up. God, your passion, your blood. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus for the removal of sins, I admonish you today. Choose Life, if you've never spoken with other tongues as the Spirit breathed into you and you knew you were spiritually alive again, all I ask you to do is open up your mouth after you repent and begin to cry unto Him. You do your job, you choose Him. Die to sins that's your job through repentance. When you do that job, He will inevitably and always do His. Come on, he's in our midst. He's in our midst. No one quiet. No one quiet. Let every ounce of passion that's inside of you well up. Huh?